turn in your Bibles. We are methodically going through the Gospel of Mark and just sort of kind of hitting the high points, even though we're taking it paragraph by paragraph. There's so much uh, amazing, wonderful information and teaching in this great book. My title today is, Where Do They Get This Stuff? Uh, so we'll be looking at, at that. Another way to ask that same question is, well, why don't we have some of that stuff? Um, see how this text plays into that question. I'm going to read the text straight through uh, and then go back and work on it a little bit together. So here's, I'm going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to, we left off at verse 52. So I'm going to go into 53, and then we're going to read it through chapter 7, uh, verse 13, 713. Hear the word of God. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made well. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Hmm, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Quote, honor your father and your mother, and, quote, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die, end quote. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, 
whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. God, please, in your kindness, add your blessing to the reading of your word and open our hearts and minds to hear what you're saying to us. Lord, we pray that you would apply this to our lives. Thank you for the the beautiful reality that in your perfect plan you brought all of us to meet in this room today. And in that we know you have a purpose for each and every one of us to be here today. And we praise you for that. Open our hearts. As Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Okay, so let's start out with the healing here. If you go back to Mark, I have a reference to, I can't hardly see it there, but it says Mark 134. Mark has recorded this a lot. Uh, Let me read it from the English Standard Version. It says, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So, And that's the beginning of his healing ministry. And now up to this point, at the end of chapter 6, what's happening? Uh, you could say the whole, the whole area has just gone crazy over him, right? Uh, they see him and they just go nuts. They go bonkers. They literally start running around, gathering all the sick to him. Uh, and uh, it talks about marketplace. I don't, I've had the great privilege of traveling just a little bit to India. And uh, I went there in uh, 2000, and the, my host was an Indian man. This is the, that's the only way to see India. You know, don't go with a tourist package. Get a, an actual Indian host. Maybe hard to do, but, but I did it. <laughs> anyway, and, and he said, you know, brother, I'm going to take you to the big market. I said, oh, I'd love to see the big market. And, you know, I really thought, oh, you know, Safeway, it's a big market. You know, you're going to go to the big market, right? Uh, and, but no. <laughs> What's the big market in India? Well, it's a place, we'd call it a little more like a flea market. You know, it's a huge area, a large area, where there's tables all over the place and various things on the table and, and individual sellers at each table. And everything's a, a, you bicker and bargain for everything. Uh, just love watching the Indians barter for their own food. Uh, I, that's where I learned, nay, 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 nay. <laughs> they, they, they give you a price, you go, nay, 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 nay. <laughs> you know, which is pretty easy to translate what that is. Like, are you crazy? No way. <laughs> you know, I'm not paying that for that. I'll, go, I'll give you half of that, whatever. But that's the marketplace. So, and, and it says that they brought all of these people into the marketplace. It's not talking about Safeway. It's talking about this environment of, you know, just excitement and bickering and bargaining and everybody's trying to sell something and they, they bring them out there and these sick people would just reach out and grab the, the hem of the garment of Jesus and be healed. And, and you know, interesting, the Jews, Jews had a direct command from God to have these sort of tassels you know, on their uh, garments. You know, the Orthodox Jews still do this. If you visit New York City, uh, look for a, a Hasidic Jew, and you'll notice that he has tassels, right? Anybody seen this? 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Every once in a while, I'll ask you to respond to make sure you're still there. <laughs> it's really interesting, and it comes from uh, directly from the Torah. You know, I don't even know why, but that's the way God did it. So, I'm Jew. Jesus is a, a Torah-compliant Jew, and uh, he had some tassels on his garments. And if you just touched one of them, you were healed. You know, no chemo, no radiation, instantly healed. No, no rehab. If you're a paraplegic. Boom, you get up and walk. You don't have to do the you know, physical therapy. Uh, I have a daughter-in-law who's a physical therapist. And I also worked in a rehab hospital for a long time. So in the rehab hospital, you call them physical terrorists. <laughs> Not therapists. Because why? Th- their job is to make you do stuff you really don't want to do. And, it, and the, the, the motto is what? No pain, no gain. No, you know, you have to work through this. You have to force your body to do this. But no, that's not the way Jesus' miracles worked. They didn't have therapy. This, whoom, the power of Jesus is phenomenal. It's just like a, a celebration of goodness and wonder. This text that I just read in 55, 53 through 56 doesn't mention his teaching. What's really on the plate here is these amazing miracles. Everybody's thrilled about it, uh, and, and people are getting healed. I mean, it sounds marvelous. It sounds fantastic. Honestly, I would love to see that. You know, uh, We don't see that, that today. We see some miracles, and God clearly still does miracles, and we should pray for them. But we, you, know, you never see a, a televangelist go to the hospital and just shut down the hospital go room to room and heal everybody. This doesn't happen. Uh, That would be amazing. But that's the level of healing that's going on here. Nothing like you might see, uh, you know, today. Um, And so you'd think, okay, who's going to be opposed to that? You know, who in their right mind is going to be against Jesus? Because you're just doing too many good things. Uh, Well, he's showing a power an authority that makes people, uh, this is like a little bit more accurate of what's going on. He's gone from just individual healings to, like I said, the whole region is, this is the high point of the popularity of Jesus. And, and so much so, he's way up in Galilee, which is a, a several, many days journey uh, from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is deeply to the south. That's why it's just marvelous in the Hebrew mind. Did you see that? It says who had, they had come from Jerusalem. In their mind, they always come, they come down from Jerusalem, no matter if they're south or north or whatever. They come down after, uh, off the high hill, you know? And it's, it's marvelous and amazing. Here are the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. You know, what are they going to say? You would... You would you, can't they discipline themselves to say, you know, you're doing some amazing things here. You know, how, this is fantastic. How, what is this? But no, right? No. Uh, they come and what do they see? Uh, some of the disciples are hungry. Earlier in the texts, it says that at this pinnacle of popularity of Jesus, the disciples are so busy, they don't even have time to eat. You know, every once in a while, that's kind of fun uh, to be in that situation, you know, for a little while, right? You're just so hungry, and you might, you might have, like, in your car, you might have some peanuts, right? You open the lid while you're driving, eat a few peanuts, because I, I missed lunch, didn't have much for breakfast, I'm hungry. 
Well, that's where these disciples are. They're, and they're walking by these fields and they're grabbing some grain and crushing it up and, and eating it. And, and, you know, that is what the Pharisees and scribes <laughs> zero in on, right? Uh, that's what they see. That's what they want to talk about. Uh, it's uh, just phenomenal. You know, it's, it's missing the forest completely and not even talking about the trees. I want to talk about you know, the redwood sorrel underneath the, uh, you're walking on that. Well, no, let's talk about the big picture. Again, look at the text of Scripture. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, you know, oh, 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 that came from Jerusalem, you know, whoa, got to be powerful. What, what are they going to say? And they saw some of the disciples, they ate with hands that were defiled. Now, this isn't actually talking about you might, you might think, well, sure, you should really wash your hands. It's probably a good idea. Um, that's not the kind of washing they're talking about here. It's, it's ritual, um, ceremonial, religiously significant washings. So when they're defiled, it means they're not going through the religiously significant washings. And they have like a, an exact method. And if you don't go through the exact, Method, your hands are unclean. And that's what the parens is about. See, verse, uh, verse 3 starts a parenthesis, goes down to verse 4, and it, tell, it gives this background for us. It says, because we're, we're not all Jews in that culture. Uh, asterisk, real quick, real, real quick. Notice that when the context of the culture is important for the interpretation, God the Holy Spirit puts the context in the context for us, right? Because a lot of people say, well, you should spend like a huge amount of time trying to figure out the context of all this stuff and then sort of reinterpret the Bible through that context. Um, I, just, I just think that the Holy Spirit has given us what we need. I'm not saying we shouldn't understand the cultural context, but it's not like we... Anyway, never mind. End of asterisk. Moving on. <laughs> but it's cool that the Holy Spirit puts it here for us. <laughs> uh, again, this is what the word says. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, notice this, they, they enforced compliance. They do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. I'm a big fan of Fiddler on the Roof. I'm suppressing the urge to sing that song, okay? But that's, <laughs> that's what this is about, tradition. <laughs> um, this is the way we do it. It's the tradition of the elders. Have some respect. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions. <laughs> that's the problem with traditions. You start one, and you add another one, and you add another one, and soon the whole of your vessel is just covered with barnacles uh, because tradition begets tradition, and the authority of the elders just can make this stuff up. Uh, see verse 4, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. This is kind of cutely because uh, I read 
lots of commentaries on this. I'll, I'll read Presbyterian and Baptist and all kinds of different ones, right? And the word here for washing is baptizo, uh, which, you know, the Baptists love to say, that means to immerse. And, you know, we say, yeah, it does, uh, you know, like almost all the time. And the Presbyterians say, what, are they going to immerse a couch? <laughs> and, you know, maybe they did, right? They're pretty extreme in their religion. I don't know, but it's an interesting, another asterisk which I didn't have time for that one, so never mind. Verse 5. So, so out of this context, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why? Why do they do this? And look at their question, verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to, to the tradition of the elders? They're not quoting Scripture. They're not saying Moses said in you know, Leviticus 4, how to wash your hands. Again, this is a very specified method uh, of how to wash your hands in a, the tradition of the elders. But they eat with defiled hands. So here's Jesus' big um, confrontation. You know, we know where this is going to end in, in like a year. They're going to crucify him. Uh, at, and so at this point, how's he going to respond? How, how does he respond to these respected holy men who came from Jerusalem uh, and who are challenging him with this, this question? You know, honestly, how, how, he's very confrontational. Verse 6, and he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> That's a way to win friends. You know, that's a way to calm them down. He goes right at them, and he says they're hypocrites. Uh, it's a wonderful Greek, Greek word. It's, that's, uh, we call that transliterated from the Greek. The, uh, the Y is translated, transliterated from the U, so it's hupo, hupokrite, which means under the mask. They're hiding behind this mask of holiness. Uh, you know, we're so good, and they use that mask to pretend that they're living for God, and that's not what they're doing at all. In fact, you see how um, Jesus knows this, too. He, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He brings up, uh, first he's quoting Isaiah, that he says, this prophecy is about you guys. This people honors me with their lips. You know, they pretend. They're very religious. Uh, they, they do all the religious stuff. They know when to bow, when to stop, when to pray, when to stand up. You know, all of this rigid life that's prescribed by the tradition of the elders. But their heart is far from me. Yeah, I think so. That's what this is about. Here's Jesus teaching and doing all these miracles, and they come, excuse me, we want to talk to you about, uh, we saw your disciples picking some grain, <laughs> and they didn't do it exactly the way we'd like them to pick the grain. You know, they critique Jesus, <laughs> but they're not critiquing, really. They're, they're looking for a weaselly way to oppose him, Right? They don't want to confront him straight on in the big issues. They want to get rid of him. They're looking for a way to trip him up. And they come to our tradition that you are violating. 
So Jesus really gets at them. No, you're not honoring me with your heart. Your heart is far from me. And look at verse 7, dear friends. Look at verse 7, please. In vain do they worship me. So, so a worship that is prescribed by all these human traditions that aren't supported by Scripture, and a great deal of them violate direct Scripture, it looks like they're worshiping. <laughs> but this text says from the ancient prophet Isaiah, it's in vain. They're not worshiping God. They've made up their own stuff. That's your totem pole. Uh, you are not worshiping God. You're worshiping what you made. Of course, the prophet says, you know, how silly is it a human being takes a chunk of wood, carves a, a beautiful idol, and then bows down and worships it, takes the rest of the wood and uses it to cook his fire, you know, cook his meal with. It, you know, that's not God. And so it's in vain. Now, we, I love art. And I actually think totem poles are interesting. I don't have one in my house. <laughs> but, you know, they are interesting. Uh, and, and there's some beauty in art. I'm not opposed to art. art but we look, our, our, our uh, auditorium is really simple. We don't have a lot of statues around here. We don't have images of important people in the Christian faith. Why? It's because that stuff just gets so in the way of, of a real, honest heart worship. It's distracting. And it becomes the magical mystery tour that you, you start to think that these magical things have powers. And if you pause in the middle of a wedding and put a flower by a statue, it's somehow, oh, that's worship. No, and I think verse 7 is saying, in vain, I think it says this, what am I saying? It says this, <laughs> this isn't worship. They're, why? Look at the next part. Teaching as doctrines, what? The commandments of men. Commandments of men. The, these are commandments, and they have their source in human beings. They, they're just making it up. And so Jesus is saying, you're actually distracting. You're making what looks like a big show of worship, it's actually empty. You're not worshiping God. Uh, this is Jesus quoting Isaiah. Uh, Jesus used scripture. He's actually teaching scripture, uh, you know, using uh, an exegetical method, a historical, critical uh, method of teaching scripture. Maybe we should do that too. Verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So we, have, we have the responsibility to ask, why do we do this? Is it from God or is it from human beings? And they are leaving the commandment of God. And these are people who are of the book. They love the Bible. These, some of these guys, the scribes, there was, their whole life was to read the Torah. They literally memorized every letter in the Hebrew Bible. Um, I don't know if all of them did, but some of the scribes did. That was their thing. So they're like immersed in the Bible, but it's not only the Bible. And can I say the Latin word? It's not sola scriptura. They're saying the Bible plus what? Tradition, human tradition. And that's where 
it gets complicated. And so he gives them a case in point. He says, "There's, a, you know, you, you guys know this. You, you have a, a kid who does really well in business or something, and he has lots of money. And his mom and dad aren't doing so well, and they need some help. And, uh, but this rich kid can come to the religious leaders and say, now, I was going to give this money to help my parents, but I decided to dedicate it to God. <laughs> it's korban. Korban means to dedicate to God. There's a Bible university up in Salem, Oregon, called Corban. That's this word. It's dedicated to God. I mean, that's a good idea, to be dedicated to God. But here they're saying, unfortunately, Mom and Dad, that money that I was going to... Um, help you to live on, I've decided I, I, I needed to dedicate it to God. And now the priests, the Pharisees, they won't let me give it to you because it's technically theirs, although I'm still earning interest on it, but uh, it's technically theirs. I mean, that's, so Jesus says this. Let me read it again because it's just, it's better than the way I just said it. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. See, there's a certain authority there. If, if I have the power to create traditions that reject the command of God, that's powerful. That feels good. Because I feel like I'm controlling these people. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to get into all the psychology of it, but there's a lot of power involved here. Okay, so verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, you know, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him. This is a technicality. If the priest agrees that that's Corban, I can't let you have it, mom and dad. And this is the tradition of men violating the commandment of God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God. See, that's the issue. The word of God. Uh, earlier uh, this week, I have uh, dear friends in India, uh, in Telugu-speaking uh, country, and the, the one is a, like a 23-year-old young man, and he keeps making these slides for me. Not for me, he just publicizes them. And there's some English there, right? Have you ever thought about that in terms of what I said, sola, scriptura, Psalm 119 and 105? Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. That's, that's Telugu. Isn't that an amazing looking language? Um, how are we guided? You know, Are we guided by tradition or by the word of God? That's the issue. This verse teaches how we are guided. And they are erring away from the word of God by honoring all these human traditions. We could go on and on about this, but I'm not going to. Uh, we could talk about a lot. I just want to finish up with it. I have three more slides, and they only take 15 minutes each, so you know, no problem. <laughs> just kidding. Um, this is the great scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And this is verse 16 in the Greek language in, in which it was written. And that's pasa all graphe, all scripture. 
And here's this word, theonoustos, theonoustos. It's only here in the Bible. And it really, theo is God, and noustos is, is the breath of God. So all scripture is breathed out by God. The scripture is breathed out by God. Not these traditions. Uh, the scripture is. And therefore, it is profitable. Because of the source, that's why the word of God is, is profitable. That's why Jesus is, is exercised about this, willing to even confront these powerful men in public and say, no, you're wrong because your tradition violates the word of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, that's to correct error, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. What do you need to be complete? Pasa, grafe, theanustas. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's what completes us in our faith. We don't need, and I, I'm excited what happened in the third century. That's fine. That's really great. But it, that, that tradition doesn't direct my life. What directs my life is the word of God. That's the real power. I, I already, I want to read this quick. This is literally from adapted from Wikipedia. I changed a couple of words, and maybe you can go check out what I changed. <laughs> Oops, go back. Oh, no. Sola PowerPoint. Can you come back? Come back, please. Oh, no, not that one. That's my final slide. Okay. <laughs> Give me one more chance here. Oh, Lord, please. I refer to Torah studies. Lord, no, no. Okay. This, I, this sola scriptura, I have it written here so I don't have to stare at the slide. But what do I mean by this? There, this is a great principle taught out of the Protestant Reformation. It's really what got Martin Luther going. You know, do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the Bible over tradition? When human tradition contradicts the Bible, what's our choice? The Bible. It's huge. I think there's five solas, but sola scriptura is Latin for scripture alone. You could probably figure that out. It's a theological doctrine teaching that the Bible is the sole infallible rule of faith and practice. Now, listen to how they explain this. This is very good. The scripture's meaning is mediated through many kinds of secondary authority, such as the ordinary teaching offices of the church. We, we teach, I'm teaching here and now. The ecumenical creeds, we love the creeds. We study them. We learn a lot from church history. It's not like we're saying, let's burn the, burn the past. All we need is, no, no. We, human tradition's good. The ecumenical creeds, the councils of the Christian church, and so on. But listen, however, sola scriptura rejects any original infallible authority other than the Bible. In this view, all secondary authority is derived from the authority of the scriptures and is therefore subject to reform when compared to the teaching of the Bible. Church councils, preachers, Bible commentators, private revelation, or even a message allegedly from an angel or an apostle are not an original authority alongside the Bible as the sola scriptura approach. I honestly believe that's what Jesus is saying here. You guys have gotten off track horribly because you've added all these layers of tradition. So I ask, where did they get that stuff? 
It's human traditions. And the problem with human traditions is they become your religion. And you start to think that's what is important. That's what I believe. And if, if I come and do a certain thing and do this and that and do that, I'm right with God. It becomes external. And so I close with this thought. First of all, there's a warning here. At the very top of the text, warning, do not miss the blessing by holding on to your own culture and heritage. Uh, That's what the Pharisees are doing here. They're they're so tightly guarded with what they think is right, their human tradition. That's what they're into, protecting the human tradition and not opening up to who Jesus is and what he's really doing and what is he really about. I mean, it's unbelievable tragedy, you know? You You hoard a bunch of, you know, cracked almonds you know you're bringing together worthless uh acorns you're hoarding that tradition missing the beauty of redeemed 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 by the blood of the lamb you know worshiping jesus for who he is and what he has done so warning 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 do not miss the blessing by holding on to your own culture and heritage that's what repentance means actually You turn away from what's keeping you from Jesus. Jesus is is out proclaiming repentance in the Jewish culture. They needed to repent of the layers of human tradition that they had put on the word of God. They needed to turn away from it. They needed to get rid of it. It's distracting. It doesn't teach your kids the truth about God. It it is uh, dangerous and wrong. So warning and then instruction Base your faith on the Word of God, not on human tradition. Let's pray. Father, please, in your kindness, help us not to be hypocrites. We know that at some level, at certain times, through any day, we're hypocritical. That is not living up to what we profess to be true. We're so thankful for your powerful forgiveness uh, in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray that, Lord, we will base our faith on the precious word of God. And thank you for the the freedom and the joy of knowing Christ. Amen.